Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 49 this morning. Genesis chapter 49. We want to read beginning at verse 1. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together, and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray that we would allow you to open our eyes today. Um that we would surrender our will to you, that you might teach us from your word today. Teach those who are lost the need and the way of salvation. And teach those who are saved the need to live for you in these last days. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For our last few messages on Sunday morning, We've been looking at this private conversation um, between Israel and his son Joseph. But here in chapter 49, Jacob calls all his sons together. And we want to begin by looking at verse 2 because Jacob says two things here that are very critical. The Spirit of God in this second verse is again calling our attention to this distinction of names for this man, Jacob and Israel. The first thing that he says to his sons is, Gather yourselves together, ye sons of Jacob. Notice that he doesn't call them ye sons of Israel. And it's like that because... The Lord wants to teach us again that salvation is not hereditary. These sons of Jacob were born with a name. They were born with an old nature. His sinful nature had been passed on to them. And so he received a new name when he trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And each of his sons had to do the same thing. Salvation is not hereditary. It isn't passed from father to son. Salvation must be received personally and individually. And so that's the first critical thing that Jacob says here in verse 2. The second critical thing is the words, Hearken unto Israel. Hearken unto Israel. And the Lord puts those words here because He wants to make it clear to us who is speaking. It's Jacob who is calling his sons together. But it's not Jacob that they are to hearken to. It is Israel that they are to hearken to. This verse is a very 
beautiful example of 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. In fact, you can write that reference beside verse 2 if you write in your Bible. We read there for the prophecy. All of the prophecies of the Old Testament scriptures, all the prophecies of the scriptures. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. They did not come by Jacob. This isn't Jacob who is speaking. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. That's Israel. It's Israel that is speaking. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Israel here in Genesis 49 is one of the holy men of God that Peter is talking about who spake as he was moved by the Holy Ghost. And this is important to see because of what Jacob says to his sons in verse 1. Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. These words, the last days, are very important to notice because this is the first time that we find these words in the Bible. And they are prophetic words. They are words that refer to a time in the future. But what time in the future? Well, I believe the Lord tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, where he says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, now listen to verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And so Israel's prophecy spoken here comes down to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ comes because that is when the last days begin. God in these last days hath spoken unto us by his son. And so if Israel is speaking of the last days and those begin with the first coming of the Lord Jesus... And we know they end with the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Then we ought here in Jacob's prophecy to see both of these comings in in the prophecy that Israel speaks. And I believe we will. Israel's prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus begins in verse 8. Judah, he says... Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? Now notice verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. As we look at these verses, particularly verse 10, we see the first coming of the Lord Jesus. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Those words are incredibly full 
of prophecy. Incredibly full of prophecy. They tell of a time, first of all, when the nation of Israel would want a king. There was no king in Israel at this time. And so these words tell of a time when the nation of Israel would rebel against God's will and God's plan for their nation. And they would reject God's rule over them. Israel's words are a prophecy of the time when Israel would demand a king. A prophecy of the time when they would reject the Lord. A prophecy of the time when the Lord is going to give them their request. But he's going to send leanness into their soul. And this rebellion that manifested itself in their rejection of the Lord as their king, this rebellion that manifested itself in their words to Samuel, 1 Samuel 8 and verse 19, they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations. This rebellion against the Lord and rejection of him, remember he told Samuel, Samuel was very upset about the request that these people, the, the people of Israel made to him. You remember the Lord told him, they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. And this rebellion against the Lord and their rejection of him as their king would find its ultimate end in Pilate's judgment hall. When Pilate would bring Jesus forth and say unto the Jews, Behold your king. And Israel's cry, the children of Israel's cry in that moment, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? And the answer of the rulers of Israel was this, We have no king but Caesar. That is where the rebellion, that is where the rejection, not of Samuel, but of the Lord himself in wanting a king, that is where it took Israel's children to Pilate's judgment hall and the ultimate rejection of their king. And they crucified their king. They crucified the Lord of glory. Those words ought to cause us to stop and think about the seriousness of of our rejection of the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. When we reject his rule in our lives, we are starting down on a downward course that will end in destruction. Israel's words here are about that. His words are about a scepter, though, a king. The Lord allowed Israel to have a king. And this scepter not departing from Judah brings before our minds how that happened. It happened when Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin, you remember he was the first king of Israel. But Saul disobeyed the Lord. He intruded into the priest's office and he took upon himself the office of the priest, and he offered a burnt offering to the Lord, which he wasn't supposed to do. Saul was not called of God to be a priest. He took that honor unto himself. God had separated, if you will, church and state. 
And Saul's disobedience cost him. It cost him, didn't cost him his salvation. But his disobedience cost him the kingdom. And the Lord gave that kingdom to someone else. In 1 Samuel 13 and verse 13, we read that Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be a captain over his people. And this man that the Lord sought, who was after his own heart, the man who the Lord had commanded to be captain over his people is David. David of the tribe of Judah. This is when the scepter comes to Judah. But there's another prophecy in these words. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. When David from the tribe of Judah becomes king, the nation of Israel is made up of 12 tribes. But when Israel says here, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, his words are the prophecy of the division of the nation of Israel. David and Solomon from the tribe of Judah ruled over the entire nation of Israel. But you remember when Solomon's son Rehoboam comes to the throne. The nation is divided into the ten northern tribes that were known as Israel and the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, that were known as Judah. And so Israel doesn't talk about the scepter not departing from the tribe of Judah as a part of Israel as a nation. He only talks about Judah. No mention of Israel as a nation because the ten northern tribes are going to to separate and they're going to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians and Judah would be the only kingdom that was left. And Judah would hold the scepter for 469 years until Zedekiah, Josiah's son, is taken and bound and carried into Babylon, and Jerusalem is destroyed. And this is where Jacob's prophecy gets incredibly detailed. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And it didn't. The scepter remained in Judah as long as Judah was a nation. The scepter remained in Judah until Jerusalem was destroyed, and Judah was taken Captivity into captivity by the Babylonians. But this is where we see the, the continued perfection of Israel's prophecy. And his prophecy is perfect because his prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It's perfect because he is one of the holy men of God who spake as he was moved by the Holy Ghost. And so his words are also telling us about the time when Judah would be taken into captivity. We read about that in 2 Kings chapter 25, beginning at verse 5. And the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king, that's Zedekiah, and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army were scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him to the king of Babylon, to Riblah, and they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, 
and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuchadnezzar, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon unto Jerusalem. And he burnt the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Here is when there is no more king of Judah. The scepter has departed from Judah because Jerusalem's destroyed and Judah's gone into captivity. But Israel's prophecy foresees this day. And the word that tells us of this day is the word lawgiver in verse 10. His prophecy says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, that's the king's, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Now you and I can see the complete perfection of Israel's prophecy. Because you and I can see in the book of Kings that when there was no king of Judah, this is when the second Uh, part of Israel's prophecy concerning Judah comes to pass. Jacob said, "The the scepter shall not depart from Judah, but notice, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. And in 2 Kings 25, in verse 22, we read this. And as for the people that remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, even over them he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shapham, ruler, ruler. Second Kings 25 and verse 22 tells us what happened after there was no more king in Judah. This man, Gedaliah, becomes the ruler. That's what we read in verse 22. And in verse 23, he's called the governor, the governor. Folks, Gedaliah was the lawgiver. If you look the word lawgiver up, it means one who decrees. It means governor. And so there's not going to depart a governor from between the the feet of Judah. And so here's the fulfillment of Israel's words. Judah's gone. The nation is gone. The scepter, the kingly scepter is gone. Zedekiah has had his eyes put out and he's been bound in fetters and taken to Babylon. But Israel's words see this time. This time when even though the scepter of kingly power would be gone because of the captivity, there would be a lawgiver, a ruler, a governor who would come from between the feet of Judah to rule the people that remained in the land. The first one is Gedaliah. His father was Ahikam, who was was one of King Josiah's advisors. His grandfather was Shaphan, the scribe, who read the book of the law before King Josiah when it was found in the house of the Lord. And Gedaliah of the tribe of Judah becomes the lawgiver, the ruler, the governor. And this is what we see after the kingly scepter is gone. Lawgivers 
coming from between the feet of Judah. Men like Zerubbabel, who led the first band of Jews who returned from the captivity at the close of the 70 years. We read about him in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and in the book of the prophet Haggai. It's Zerubbabel of the tribe of Judah. We find him in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. It's Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, who lays the foundation of the house of the Lord and who God says his hand shall also finish it. These are the words of Israel's prophecy in Genesis 49 and verse 10 coming to pass. And they continue to come to pass through the time of the Sanhedrin, the time of the supreme council or court in Israel that was made up primarily of the tribe of Judah. And the prince or the head of that supreme council was always from the tribe of Judah. Just exactly the way Israel prophesied. But look at the rest of Israel's prophecy in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Jacob says all of this, the scepter being in Judah, the lawgivers coming from Judah. And he says it will continue until Shiloh comes. Now who is Shiloh? Well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about how the name Shiloh means peace bringer. Peace bringer. There's only one peace bringer. He's the one that we, and I think we mentioned it in that message, he's the one that we read about in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Shiloh, the peace bringer, is none other than the Prince of Peace. So the name Shiloh, when we put all of this together, is an Old Testament name for the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jacob's prophecy is that the scepter is not going to depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes. And folks, that is exactly what happened. Some of you are familiar with Chuck Missler. Brother Chuck Missler has gone to be with the Lord. But he was a man who was an expert on Bible prophecy, and he was an expert on biblical history. And he made this observation about these words until Shiloh come. He said, after the death of Herod the Great, Herod the Great died in 4 B.C., Archelaus came to power, and he ruled until 6 A.D. But in 6 A.D., Archelaus was removed He was removed by the Roman Emperor Augustus. And the province of Judea was put under direct Roman rule. He was replaced, Archelaus was replaced by a Roman uh, by the name of Caponius. And so at 
that time, 6 AD, the legal power of the Sanhedrin was immediately restricted. They could no longer judge capital cases. All of that was was taken away. So when the members of this Supreme Council of the Jews found themselves with their power taken away, their right to rule over uh, cases of life and death, they covered their heads with ashes and they clothed themselves in sackcloth. And the reason they did this is because the scepter had departed from Judah. That happened in 587 B.C. when Judah was taken captive. But they had retained the lawgivers from the tribe of Judah, just as Jacob had prophesied. But now the lawgivers had lost their power. They had lost their authority. And and the Jews covered themselves with, with sackcloth they mourned in the streets because they thought the word of God had failed but folks the word of God had not failed the words of Jacob's prophecy had come to pass just exactly as he prophesied 1700 years before because while these Jewish leaders were weeping in the streets of Jerusalem, shallow. The Lord Jesus Christ had come. And something that is so interesting to me to think about. You remember in Luke chapter 2, at the age of 12, uh, Mary and Joseph, they took the Lord Jesus to the Passover just as they had every year. And you remember they were going to start home, and they did start home. And they began to look around, and they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. They thought he was with some of their other friends or family and the group that was traveling back from Jerusalem. And so they go back to Jerusalem to to, to try to find him. And you remember where they found him? They found him sitting in the midst of... Of the doctors, the, the, the Bible says the doctors, but they were the doctors of the law. Folks, he was sitting in the midst of these very men who believed that the word of God had failed because there was no longer a lawgiver from the tribe of Judah, and yet right in their midst sat Shiloh, hearing them and asking them questions. And you remember What we find there in Luke chapter 2, these doctors of the law were astonished. At 12 years of age, they were astonished at his understanding and answers. And they would not see that he was the promise of the Father sitting before them. Then the Lord Jesus goes back to Jerusalem, and he's subject unto his parents. And there... Uh, in, in Nazareth, rather. He goes back from Jerusalem to Nazareth. He was subject unto his parents, and there he was, Shiloh, increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And yet here are these religious people who knew the law, 
who knew the Old Testament scriptures and prided themselves in their knowledge. But you know what? They failed to apply those very scriptures to the days in which they were living. The scepter had departed from Judah, and there was no longer a lawgiver from between his feet. But the message of the scripture is that when that happened, when that happened, Shiloh will have come. And these religious people should have known it. But they didn't. Instead, they mourned and wept and doubted the Word of God. You know what they were? They were practical atheists. That's what they were. But folks, I want you to think about something. That's where the church of Jesus Christ is today. We ought to be looking and thinking about the rest of Jacob's prophecy here in verse 10. Remember, he's talking about the last days. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The first part of verse 10, down through the words, until Shiloh come, are about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those next words, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, those words are not referring to the Lord's first coming. The people were not gathered to Shiloh when he came the first time. In fact, the very opposite is true. John 1 and verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. The people of this world were not gathered to the Lord Jesus when he came. And what was true of the world was true of the nation of Israel. John chapter 1 and verse 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Neither Gentile nor Jew were gathered to the Lord Jesus when he came the first time. And that's exactly what Isaiah said, isn't it? He is despised and rejected of men. Despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So Jacob's words, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, did not come to pass at the first coming of the Lord. So when will these words come to pass? At his second coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so in the light of those words, Paul beseeches these believers in Thessalonica by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, the very words that Jacob uses here, and unto Him shall the gathering of the people be. These words are a prophecy of the second coming of the Lord Jesus to the air. And we're living in that time. In the last days. Isn't that what Israel said his prophecies are all about? 
That's what he said in verse 1. And in the last days, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And we're living in those days. We can read the scriptures and know the times and the seasons. The Lord Jesus is here in the midst of us today. I want you to think about it. We read there in Luke chapter 2, he was sitting there in the midst of the, of the doctors, and we think, wow, isn't that amazing? Uh, folks, God is not a respecter of persons. And he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. He's here. He's here as he was in the midst of these doctors of the law. And we hear his word. And we're astonished. And we're amazed at the understanding and the answers of his word to the very days in which we're living. But I'm afraid that so many times we don't, we, we look at that as some kind of spiritual entertainment. Isn't that something? Isn't that just amazing? And so we end up like the Sanhedrin. They knew the scepter had departed from Judah. They knew there was no longer a lawgiver from between his feet. And so the message of the scripture was that Shiloh had come. And just as surely as they could have known that, we can know the Lord's coming is near even at the doors. We can read the scriptures. Because here they are in our midst. And they are they which testify of Him. And we can know just like they could have known that we need to be looking up and lifting up our heads because our redemption is drawing nigh. But they didn't do it. And we don't do it. Instead, I'm afraid so many times we do exactly what they did. We mourn and we weep and we talk and we complain about the very conditions that prove that the Word of God is true. And in the face of that, what do we do? We doubt the Word of God. And we live just like they did. In effect, as practical atheists. What difference, what difference are these words that are soon to be fulfilled? And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. What difference are those words making in our lives if we're saved today? So easy to criticize these Jews for their unbelief when it came down to the practical application of the word of God in their lives when all the while we're guilty of the same thing. If we're saved today, how are we living in the light of the fact that very soon these prophetic words that Israel spoke some 3,700 years ago, unto him shall the gathering of the people be, are about to come to pass. And then, and then the judgment. We're saved. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And the fire that Paul is talking about in that verse is God himself, because our God is a consuming fire. He's the fire that will try our works when we stand before him at our gathering together unto him. We're saved. Are we living in the light of that fact? 
you're lost today, you aren't living in the light of that truth. In fact, you could care less about it. Because you're consumed with your own will. You're consumed with living your own way. And your way that seems right unto you, God says, is the way of death. The way of death. And here's the thing. We don't know when death is coming, do we? We don't know when death is coming. David said of his life in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 3, and it's not only true of him, it's true of you and me. There is but a step between me and death. There is but a step between me and death. A step is about as big as the way God describes our life. A vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We got an example of that this week. Wednesday night with Brother Ernie Miller. I was visiting Ernie and Mary Beth the previous Thursday. We had a, a time of fellowship, and at the end, Brother Ernie walked me to the door, and he said, you're not going to mind looking at my face all throughout eternity, are you, Brother Charles? <laughs> and I said, no, not at all. If you don't mind looking at mine. And he gave me a hug, you know, Ernie, a man hug. I have to distinguish that. Ernie was a hugger. But you know what he did not know and what I did not know is that I would not see him again until Wednesday evening when he had passed away. See, our life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. There is but a step between me and death. That's why God says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. That's why he says, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're lost today, you need to stop fighting against God. You need to stop fighting against the truth. You need to stop trying to rule and reign and be the king of your life. You need to lay down your rebellion. Surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him as your Savior. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the perfection of it. The absolute 100% perfection of it. And we thank You that You have given us this amazing book to point us to one thing. And that is Your love for sinners. Your love for sinners that took you to the cross of Calvary, the very center point of all eternity. The, the very place that not only divides time, but divides people into saved and lost. And we thank you for the message of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Speak to those who are lost today. Speak to those who are saved, Father. 
very soon we're going to be gathered unto you. We pray that we would not be ashamed at your appearing. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.